A couple weeks ago, I posted that on Facebook that the past couple months have been some of the hardest months for me in ministry. And I was thankful for the number of friends and family who had reached out at that time, and uh, I, I really, really did appreciate that. But I had one friend who reached out to me who was, is an elder at Liberty River Wards who asked if I was doing okay. And I was honestly, I was a little surprised by the text. I was like, yeah, I, I'm doing fine. Like, how are, you, how are you doing? And he said, well, I saw your Facebook post, and I just wanted to make sure you were okay. And I was like, wow, okay, thanks. So first thing I did, I was like, well, I'm, I'm, thank you for reaching out. I hope my post wasn't dramatic. Was it dramatic? And he, in all honesty, said, a little. He knows me well enough to know that I can be a little dramatic. And so, like, young people, find friends who are going to tell you the truth, even if it's going to sting a little bit. You want to find friends who are going to tell you the truth. But second, I told him that I was going through some hard things, but they were good things. And then we got into talking about how much, and I thought this was really insightful by him, we got talking about how much in America we value comfort. And so we automatically assume that when things are hard that they're bad. Isn't that so true? Like, don't we equate hard with bad? Like, that's why you hate dieting so much. It's freaking hard. And we think it's bad because it's hard. But it's a good thing. Hard equals bad is generally the mentality that we live by. So hard things must be avoided at all costs. And that, and that attitude is fine. That approach to life is fine if you're like picking out a couch, right? You want a soft couch, you don't want a hard couch, right? In that situation, hard is bad. But when you talk about your spiritual life, that's going to be a really spiritually detrimental mindset. That hard equals bad. See, God's goal for each of us is that through the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, we become more like Jesus. And that's a tall order. Like, if you're honest enough with yourself, you know this is going to be really hard because you naturally just don't want to be more like Jesus. And a quick example would be, like, how do you define yourself? You don't define yourself as your identity in Christ. You typically define yourself by what you do. I'm a teacher. I'm a parent. I'm a pastor. Or what you own, right? I'm middle class. I'm rich. I'm poor. Or I'm, like, an owner of, like, fancy houses. I don't know. There's nobody here, I'm, I assume, but... Regardless, that's kind of how we define ourselves. We don't necessarily see ourselves as people who want to be more like Jesus. So this task to make us look more like Jesus is going to be hard. And we'll experience Satan, sin, suffering, and sabotage in this life. And although it's hard, with God it's not impossible. Jesus says with God all things are possible. So what we need is an attitude adjustment about the hard things. And we need a conduct change to become more like Jesus in those hard things. So young people, or maybe if you don't have a church background, or maybe you do, there's a theological term that you may have never heard of that refers to this process of becoming more like Jesus. It's called sanctification. That there's this process in which the Holy Spirit is moving us to make us more like Jesus. And packed into that term is this understanding that that process is going to be hard. 
It's a hard road of sanctification. But even though it's hard, it's going to be good. And God will use Satan, sin, suffering, and sabotage. He'll use all those things to make us more like Jesus. And so what I want us all to realize today is that God uses the hard things in your life to make you more like Jesus. And we have to decide if we're going to believe that. Do we actually believe God, what he says is true? Do we actually believe that the hard things that happen to me in life, God is going to use those to make me more like Jesus? And so I want to talk to you quickly about the assurance of sanctification. And I'm going to talk about how sanctification requires a process and then sanctification requires faith. So let's first look at the assurance of sanctification. Look at Romans 8.28. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you don't have Bible, there's some in the pews. Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Those who love God can be assured that everything he does Everything that we go through, he uses for our eternal good. In 2013-14 NBA season, the Sixers began what we now know as a new era in the franchise. And looking back, that era began, it was, was given a nickname. Does anybody know what that era was called? The process. It basically went like this. So if, you don't have, if you're not familiar with the Sixers, pro, the process, if you're not familiar with the NBA, this is how it basically went. The Sixers were, were going to go through some very hard years. Some very hard years. Players that nobody has ever heard of are going to be on our team. But then eventually we're going to collect all these first-round draft picks and we're going to get championship-level talent from those. So the phrase you would often hear from fans well, during that time was what? Trust the process. And what they meant was, let's go through these hard times so that we could have many good years to come. But the main difference between the process of the 76ers and the process of sanctification is that Sixers could, the Sixers fans could only hope, and we're still hoping that something good will come out from that. It was a lot of hard years. I can't, I can't even tell you players that played on that, those teams. There's a lot of hard years. So Sixers fans can only hope, but the Bible says that Christians can be assured that good will come from the hard. And what's the good? Paul says the good is that we would become more like Jesus. That every battle with Satan that you have, every struggle with sin, every sabotage from others, even suffering, will be used to make you look more like Jesus. Which is how Paul opens Romans 8. He talks about suffering. And Paul says that with creation right now, all of creation groans. like It feels like the pains of childbirth, just waiting for Jesus to come back and restore the world and renew it and fix it all up and, and destroy evil, sin, and death, and Satan. And that's what Jesus, we're just waiting for that. All creation groans for that. And then Paul says, not only does creation groan, but we groan too. So Romans 6, uh, sorry, 8, verse 26 to 27 says this. Likewise, 
The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Have you ever had a time in your life, and maybe your life as a Christian, where your prayers sounded more like blubbering than praying? Next Sunday, it will be 10 years, it will mark 10 years since my mom died from cancer. 10 years. And there were many times during those moments, right after she died, where my prayers sounded more like blubbering than praying. I remember my counselor at the time, and if you're going through some hard times, counseling, highly recommend it. It's really important you do that. I remember him telling me, I think what you need to do is go to the gravesite and write a letter to your mom because I was having trouble grieving. And I remember just like bawling my eyes out. If anybody was looking in, they would think like something is terribly wrong with that guy because he's making no sense and he's blubbering. And he's just like he's crying, just tears constantly. Have you ever been in a place like that? You know what the Bible says? You know what Paul's saying happens when you're experiencing that? When you're experiencing your prayers sound more like blubbering than praying? The Holy Spirit helps you pray. That when Satan attacks and all you can do is sneak out a sentence or two before God, or when all you can do is sit exhausted in silence over your fight with sin, or all you can do when you have gut-wrenchingly groans just like coming out of you in your suffering, or when all you can do is weep before God after you've been sabotaged by those who claim to be your friends. The Paul saying is that the Holy Spirit in that moment is wordsmithing your two sentences wordsmithing your silence, wordsmithing your groaning and your tears, and he's turning them into prayers. And there's a promise here that the times when you pray and you feel like God is the quietest are the times when the Spirit is praying just as loud and just as clear as he always does. Knowing many of your stories some of you have experienced horrific, horrible things. And some of you are even going through those things now. You need to know, God wants you to know that your ability or inability to pray doesn't make God hear you any more or less. Because the Holy Spirit is praying for you. So when you experience the hard things of Satan, sin, suffering, and sabotage, the Holy Spirit who very loudly and clearly prays for you, even when we have groanings too much for words, Paul says, the Holy Spirit places those prayers at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus collects those prayers, and he takes them to the Father to be answered. Like, this is good news, guys. That your blubbering is actually praying even though it doesn't sound like it. And you pray like a child, like a child comes to his parents who are just hurt and crying and weeping and skins their knee and just all I need is dad to hug me and hold me. 
The Holy Spirit is taking that feeling, what's in your heart, and he's bringing it right before the Father, to Jesus and to the Father. So you can be assured that God's working all these hard things for your eternal good. But this assurance, Paul says, is not for everyone. And if you're not a Christian here today or you're just seeking Jesus out, you need to know this promise isn't for you, but it can be. Because Paul says, look, he says, we know. This assurance is only for we. We know. Who are the we? Those who've been justified by faith in Jesus. Those who love God, those who've been called by God can know, Paul says, we know, we can be assured that God, according to his purpose, is taking things like Satan's attacks and sin's struggles and suffering's pain and sabotages loneliness and he's making them and he's taking them and working them out together for your eternal good. But I need you to just hear me say this before I continue. This does not mean that what happened to you was good. You see the difference? It's not that all of a sudden those things that happened to you are good now. It's they're absolutely 100% evil, wrong, horrific, horrible, but God sees that mess and says, I will take that mess and I will work it for your good. The beautiful thing about Scripture is that God can be honest with us about ourselves and our world, and still he tells us that I will work this out for your good. This stuff happened to you. It was horrible. It was wrong. But I'm working, and I'm going to take care of this. So Satan, sin, suffering, and sabotage are not good things in themselves. Instead, God uses them for our good to make us more like Jesus. And where do we see this spelled out? In Romans 8, 29, where Paul talks about sanctification that requires a process. Look at this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Sanctification requires a process, and it's a lifelong process. But it's a lifelong process that begins immediately. And Pastor Kyle spoke about this a couple weeks ago, right? He talked about that equation, faith equals justification plus works. Works are where sanctification comes into play. So what the Bible is clear on is that if you've been justified, you will be sanctified. You get both. And if you're being sanctified, you, we all should see and you should see progressive change in your conduct. You should see the effects of justification in your life through the process of sanctification. Jesus didn't just die to save us from something. He died also to save us for something. 1 Peter 2 says this, that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? Why did Jesus die? that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Titus 2 says this, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from, from something, all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his possession who are zealous 
for good works. He saves us from something and for something. He saves us from something we are justified, and he saves us for something, our works, this process of sanctification. Jesus in his death not only purchased your justification, his blood also purchased your sanctification. So sanctification is a process that becoming like Jesus is going to take time. And it won't be completed until we either go to be with him or he comes, he comes to be with us. But the process should be seen. John Calvin is a French reformer. He said this, he says this basic idea, he says, when the sun's up, you feel its heat, but you also see its light. He's saying that when you do, when you're justified, you feel, you see the sun, you feel that you feel the sun, but you should be able to also see it in your sanctification, in your works. You should see the light of the sun. So Paul says, God foreknew you and he predestined you means that God took all the action required to save and justify you. And if God did those things for you, we should be able to see the light of Christ shining through you. So when you experience Satan, sin, suffering, and sabotage, how you handle those things should be a reflection of your justification. That God saved me, so when I respond to these things, I should see the process of sanctification happening in my life. I should see the light of Christ shining through me in my suffering, and it shining through me in my fight against sin, or in sabotage, or in attacks against Satan. You should handle those things like someone who, by the work of the Holy Spirit, is becoming more like Jesus. And there's a temptation, though, in Christian circles to handle the process with two different approaches. On one side, there's the first approach where it says that you have to add things to what God requires of you. Sure, 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 justification by faith, yeah, 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 but really we got to earn this thing. So we're like Psalm 1 or Psalm 19 or Psalm 119 tells us that the justified person or the righteous person delights in God's law this kind of person, the person who adds to God's law, doesn't really delight in it because he thinks God's law doesn't require enough. So they add to it. That God is happy when we stick to a list of do's and don'ts. And then usually, like, when you talk to those people, it usually starts out, like, something like this. Well, real Christians don't drink alcohol. Real Christians don't use tobacco. Real Christians only read this Bible translation. Real Christians only sing these kinds of songs. Real Christians only vote for this party. Real Christians only re don't read that author. And this approach sees justification, sanctification as the same thing. It's justification equals sanctification. And the word we use, that theological word we use for that is legalism. But the other approach sees the doctrine of justification and thinks that means God is cool with whatever they do. Oh, God, God saved me. He justified me. Great. But sanctification is not even part of the equation. So you'll hear people say something like this, that the, you know, you know the bonds of marriage are just too restrictive. Like, God is a God of grace, so God's cool with whoever I sleep with. 
Young people, you might be falling to this temptation, right? I didn't study for this exam, so I'll cheat, but it's cool because God, God's a God of grace. He'll forgive me. Or I don't need to make Sunday worship a priority. God's a God of grace. As long as I show up at church every once in a while, you know, as long as it's not raining out or it's not snowing or it's not a nice day and I want to go to the beach, then yeah, God's a God of grace. He'll be cool with it. See, this approach claims grace, but it's what Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. Grace that costs Jesus everything, but costs you nothing. And so when we have that approach, what we do is we take, we just ignore Jesus' call to sanctification. In places like Matthew 16, where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, cheap grace doesn't require you to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. And this attitude, this approach, so you have legalism on one hand, and this approach is another, is a big word, but it's called antinomianism. So you can go home and impress your friends with the word antinomianism. And honestly, I've been doing this a long time, your friends will not be impressed at all. But really, these pro approaches end up being two sides of the same coin because both see the hard road of sanctification as a problem rather than good, the good of becoming more like Jesus. See, for both, the process of sanctification is not only a problem, it will actually crush them. It will crush you if this is your approach. It will crush you when it's meant to grow you. See, if you're legalistic and you think you can earn God's love, you'll fall into this mindset that whenever sin, Satan, suffering, and sabotage come, you'll think they're happening not because God is going to use them to make you more like Jesus. They're happening because you didn't love God enough. You need to do more for God. Because if you did more for God, he would never let this happen. That God is like my bank account. The more money I put in, the more I can withdraw. And that's not how it works at all. Or if you're, but if you're an antinomian on the other side, and you say you're justified because you believe this one time, but there's no evidence of your justification, we can't see it in your sanctification, when Satan, sin, suffering, or sabotage comes, you won't see a part of God's plan or his process, or his work in your life to make you more like Jesus, you'll see it as God failing to be gracious. Why would a loving God, a gracious God, allow this to happen to me? Instead of saying, this happened to me, God is gracious. He's going to use it. See, both legalism and antinomianism will make you become ultimately entitled because you'll think you either have done enough for God, so when sin, Satan, suffering, or sabotage happens, they shouldn't be happening. God's failing to recognize how much I've done for him, how good of a person I am, how much money I put in the bank account. So how dare he do this to me? I'm entitled to a better life than this. Or on the other side, when someone calls out your sin and holds you accountable to Jesus' call to take up your cross, you think God and his people are judgmental. 
When somebody comes to you in love and in grace says, hey man, like what you're doing in your life is destructive, it's going to hurt you, and it just does not honor God, and I'm worried about you, you go, stop being judgmental. God's a God of grace. You should accept me just like God does. And you should just move on. Get off me. And so what you'll either do is on the legalistic side, you'll just keep trying, right? And, oh, well, this bad stuff is happening to me, so I just need to try harder. I got to do more for God. Got to do more to earn God's love. And then bad stuff happens again. Oh, so I just got to do more. I keep doubling down on legalism. Let's keep doing more and more and more and more. I must, oh, I only read my Bible for 30 minutes. Let me try 45. Then God will stop this from happening to me. The end, the end of that road is complete exhaustion. Like, at what point do you say, like, okay, reading my Bible for 45 an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours, like, eventually you're just going to be exhausted if you think that's going to earn your God's love for you. We do those things because God loves us, not to earn his love. And so you become exhausted, and because Satan, sin, suffering, and sabotage keep coming, you'll eventually just give up because say, God doesn't love me enough to realize how much I've done for him to bail me out. Or on the other side, because people hold your feet to the fire, or Jesus calls you to take up your cross daily and follow him, but you think God should just be cool with whatever you do, Well, ultimately what happens is you'll be quick to abandon your faith. You'll be quickly to abandon godly community so you can keep living however you want. And you'll surround yourself with people who won't tell you the truth. And eventually you'll just drive yourself into destructive habits with all these people just clapping and cheering you on. And eventually you won't be able to recover from that. And both approaches, legalism and antinomianism, will make you insecure and anxious. For example, if you're a legalist, you'll be insecure about your relationship with God. Think about it. You'll be anxious that you just haven't done enough for God yet. So I've got to keep doing more. Or if you're an antinomian, you'll worry that someone might keep you accountable for sin and tell you the things that you're doing actually aren't cool with God. And so what you'll do is you'll keep everyone at arm's length, except for the people who just cheer you on as you just do whatever you want straight into your destructive habits. You'll be worried and anxious about having those kinds of people around your life who are going to tell you the truth. And you'll never have security of a church or a loving community that wants to walk with, this, with you through all this. See, the value of a church and the value of a community is to walk through you with, while you're dealing with Satan's attacks. To walk through these things with you while you're fighting sin. To walk through these things with you when you're suffering and, or when you've experienced sabotage. See, neither approach can stand under the weight of Satan's sin, suffering, and sabotage. But Jesus' approach was different. Jesus saw Satan's sin, suffering, and sabotage as part of God's will for his life. He didn't avoid them or see them as unloving. He saw it differently. When he was dealing with Satan in the wilderness, in Matthew chapter 4, he's tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible tells us, but he doesn't give in. 
And at the end, he tells Satan to be gone, and he fights him with Scripture. As far as sin goes, in Hebrews 4.15, the author tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way just like we, were, we are, yet he didn't sin. In suffering, Isaiah 53 tells us that knowing that God was going to use his suffering for our eternal good, he suffered the pain on the cross and was patient in suffering and kept silent as he took the punishment for our sin. Or what about sabotage? When did Jesus deal with sabotage? Well, Judas, one of his followers, planned to betray him. And what does Jesus do at the Last Supper? He blesses Judas and sends him on his way to betray him. Because Jesus knew it would be for your eternal good. Or Peter denied him three times, but after his resurrection, he forgave Peter and he reminded him of his love for him. And he also, in that passage at the end of the Gospel of John, reminds him of his love for us. See, Jesus experienced Satan, sin, suffering, and sabotage. He knew it was all part of God's will but for our eternal good. And so sanctification requires us to have faith. Look at verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Sanctification takes faith in God's plan and purpose for our lives. You have to have faith. Because this is a hard thing to believe. Tony Evans, I love this statement. He says, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Do you hear that? Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. So we need to not only have an attitude adjustment about Satan's sin, suffering, and sabotage, that God's using these things for our good and he's making us more like Jesus, but we also need conduct change to live and act like God is telling the truth. So instead of insecurity and anxiety, you get assurance and security. And we see that here. God predestined you. What that means is you were born into sin. You're, you're walking straight into se eternal separation from God, but God saw you and God chose you. And when he chose you, Paul says he called you and he woke you up from a life of death a life dead in sin to make you alive in Christ. And when he called you through faith, he justified you. And because he justified you, he glorified you. And what Paul's saying there, Paul's so assured of the future glorification, he talks about it as if it already happened. Did you catch that? He glorified you. One day you'll be in glory with God in his presence for all eternity. But God takes your future glorification and begins it in your present sanctification. That's what Paul's saying. This reality is true now. In other words, your sanctification is a sign that you have been predestined, called, justified, and will be glorified. So God takes the mess of Satan's sin, suffering, and sabotage, and he uses them to make you more like Jesus. So you come out of attacks from Satan when you believe that. When the Holy Spirit's working, you come out of those attacks spiritually stronger than you were before. So when Satan attacks, you, you too can tell him, be gone. 
and fight them with Scripture. You come out of your fight with sin feeling tired, but you come out victorious. So next time when you're tempted, you lean on the Holy Spirit to help you resist because you know this process is worth it. I know this fight against sin is hard. I know it's a struggle, but it's worth it for me. Where God builds up this reservoir of patience as you go through suffering. Patience takes, takes time, and, right? Suffering is going to take time to go through. So we need God to give us patience. And then God also gives you power to bless, forgive, and love those who sabotaged you or abandoned you. Just like Jesus had for those who sabotaged and abandoned him. See, in sanctification, you have to have an attitude adjustment and conduct change. So here's my challenge to you before, I let, before we end. Have faith. Adjust your attitude about Satan's attacks. Adjust your attitude about sin, suffering, and sabotage. And when you're going through those things, remind yourself. Have faith. Act like God is telling the truth. And say, this is God's will for me right now. I don't know why that is. And man, does it hurt. But since it's his will, and I trust that it's his will, this will work out for my good. But remember, it's a process. Be patient with God. God's not Amazon Prime. He's not going to deliver your package in 48 hours unless there's a hurricane and some of your packages took longer. Not that I'm holding that against Amazon, but don't hold it against God. God sees the end. He's asking you just to be patient. Let him work. Let him do what he needs to do. But also be patient with yourself. It's okay to be frustrated and to cry and to weep and to blubber before God. It's okay to do that. And there's going to be better seasons than others, and there's going to be worse seasons than others. But here's the other part of that, patience. Be patient with each other. You're all in process. I'm in process too. So it's going to take time for us to rec realize our sin, to fight it off, to be victorious over it. Some of us may be fighting till our deathbed. Be patient with each other as you're going through suffering. It, it never helps anyone to be like, oh, see the silver lining? It never helps anyone to say, hey, just get over it. That was like three years ago. Sorry your mom died 10 years ago. Just move on. Sorry this happened to you. Six months ago, just get over it. Never helps. Be patient with each other. And then change your conduct. All this also means that you can change. Sanctification also reminds us that change is possible. There's no more saying if you're a follower of Jesus, like, this is who I am, I'll never change. No, you have the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of you, sanctifying you. You can change. It's going to be hard. Like we said, dieting stinks. But it's hard, but it's good to do it. But so are these things. It's going to be hard, but you can do it. You can change by God's grace. Because God uses all the things in your life 
especially those hard things to make you look more like Jesus. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You need to be patient. You need to have faith. You need to change, and you can change. But ultimately, it's for your good. 